welcoming everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Um, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who would not have signed on to play Texas Tech in perpetuity, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? <laughs> Gerald, don't you besmirch the uh, battle for the Chancellor's Spurs. I'm sure every Texas fan knew that that was the name of the rivalry trophy sought between the uh, presidents of each, or chancellors, I guess, of each university, Texas Tech, and University of Texas. Yes, that's right. Texas will be playing Texas Tech, I think, to satisfy lawmakers or or hopefully to give Texas easy uh, victories in football. I don't know. Um, or maybe just to give maybe Chris Beard mandated that it has to happen so that he can really just stick it in the craw uh, of Red Raiders. I don't know. Um, but yeah, Gerald, speaking of, of uh, rivalry games that only one side thinks are, are a rivalry. <laughs> hey, we get yeah. to talk. Arkansas. We are here. And I, I you know, I, I don't know what else to say. We said a lot in the post game uh, live pod, but we are at a point uh, where we have to talk about what the heck happened on Saturday. So we'll talk about the Arkansas game, see what happened. We have uh, Sark announced a new quarterback today. So that was a thing. And then we'll uh, obviously down the 40, give some shine to the other schools that are actually winning games. And then we'll close the show out with some bang the drum. So let's let's just pull the band-aid off. A week after Arkansas had to come from behind on the Rice Owls, they came out and absolutely just demolished the Texas Longhorns to the tune of 40 to 21. And if I told you it wasn't even really that close, I would not be lying to you, Texas. Uh, put up a couple of garbage time touchdowns to keep it from being the biggest losing margin in a long time, or maybe ever, and just had to settle for the largest losing margin since Charlie Strong was patrolling the sideline. So we both sides of the ball failed epically, immensely, and completely. So let's start with the defense and what the heck happened on the ground. So Arkansas rushed cumulatively for 333 yards and normally we would sack adjust those yards but well texas didn't get a single sack in that game so nothing to adjust arkansas ended up with 7.1 yards per carry they had five players with more than six carries averaging at least 6.3 per carry in the last 10 seasons texas has only seen three yards per carry Team totals higher than that, 2019 and 2018 against OU. And then the the game that got Manny Diaz <laughs> fired, the 2013 beatdown at the hands of BYU. Kyle, what the heck happened? What happened? I I have thoughts, but I like it's been what four days now, and I'm still kind of trying to figure it out. 
given your stat uh, that you just said that the, the last Nano U time was the Manny Diaz BYU game, I think that means that KJ Jefferson is going to luck his way into a uh, long and prosperous NFL career that he doesn't deserve or have the talent for. No, I'm not making Taysom Hill jokes because that's basically like 80% of those BYU rushing yards. But KJ Jefferson was a problem, but basically anyone who wanted to line up like they could have done a uh, a fourth quarter you know fan uh fundraiser where you know you, you bid to be the running back for a play and you could have put, probably averaged about five yards uh at that point for that arkansas running attack it was um if they hadn't run like three or four kj jefferson really slow developing like read plays that we saw kind of some Ellinger do those a little bit in last year's uh, where you just kind of snap it and then read it for two seconds and decide where to go that Texas seemed to have a read on that. If it weren't for that, that, that number would be even higher. It might be eight yards a carry. I don't know. I mean, it was, it was incredible. And we're going to talk about the offensive line. I mean, the trenches is, is really where this com- conversation begins and ends for me. Um, but I, I'm glad we're starting with the defensive line because we, we understood kind of what, what the ceiling and floor might be for the offensive line and it'd be a little bit lower. For this defensive line, we really truly thought, um, and, and maybe still do, that the ceiling is is incredibly high. But the first two games, they have not necessarily looked like the world-beating unit that we thought they were. And, and that's not to say that there weren't individual plays where, you know, someone was, was great early in the first quarter. Coburn had a play where, you know, he, he just took a guard and walked him into the backfield four yards and, and, and basically let Brockermeyer shoot into a gap for one of those tackles for loss. In fact, Texas had six of those in the first half. There were, there were things that could have been built on, but they just didn't hold up. And it looked like Basically, as the game wore on, the defensive line was good with just standing straight up at the snap and getting pushed around wherever the the five, six really, because they had a big old tight end in there too. Six guys every play just just decided to point them, and then a running back just ran the other way. Um, I think kudos to the the run game uh, that, that Arkansas put out there. They they knew that Texas was setting an aggressive edge and kind of just kicked that guy out and, and ran behind him and pushed all the other guys out and, and effectively had five yards before, you know, anything had to happen. And, and a lot has been made about missed tackles in this game, and there were certainly in the second half. But again, I think about the defense in the first half when they were a little fresh and they were making goal line stands and red red zone stands and uh, tackling pretty well on the open field. And, and we're going to talk about the offense and, and why our defense was on the field just so much. But, I mean, ultimately, it, it just – that Arkansas team, they just leaned on them and wore them down in that defense. It, it truly cracked. Um, one of the themes in this week's episode after rewatching and 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 thinking about this game is that – I'm trying to, and I will work it out sometime before the end of this, find the split of fault between the players and the coaches. I think game plan we should talk about was a big deal on both sides of the ball. Yeah, the the game plan defensively, and our, our friend friend of the show, and I'm going to butcher his name, Kevin Jarzinski said it really well in our, in our DMs, is that it seemed like Texas was did the opposite of what they should have defensively. We're going to let make KJ Jefferson beat us with his legs. And I'm like, no, that's what, that's what he wants to do. That's, that's absolutely what he wants to do. And, and he absolutely did that. And, and he, that's not a, that's not an arm that you have to show a ton of respect for. But what seemed to happen is that offensive line just 
again, got lower, pushed him back. Tech, I think Texas was trying to generate a pass rush or some kind of rush with too few guys. And I, it just, it was weird. The Arkansas averaged 3.3 line yards per rush, meaning that they basically created at least three yards on every rush. So the running back basically started doing work at three yards where at Texas was about half a yard shy of that. So Texas only got about 2.8 line yards. So again, there's a difference in those things. Arkansas got to the second level quite a bit, had 1.6 second yard rush, second level yards per rush, meaning that every, basically every rush ended up at least six yards. And it's just absolutely insane to think about. Like we, we went into the, the year saying that this defensive line unit was probably one of the best ones in the conference. Probably we called it an advantage for the offensive line that they had to play this group every week. And it just did not look like that at all on Saturday. And they never really put KJ Jefferson in a position where he had to put the game on his arm, which is what rice did really well two weeks ago and did it, again, nearly beat Arkansas. They had a lead going into the fourth quarter. So like, it's insane to me that Texas couldn't replicate Rice's game plan from two weeks ago. And here's where we are. Look, Kendall Bryles, the offensive coordinator, you knew you were going to get the Art Bryles school of veer and shoot. They just didn't have to shoot. This looked like the 1969 version of the game where they just veered. They just ran it. Um, And and I, I don't know if... It was arrogance with Texas if they thought with a six-man box they could just they, – they got a nickel to kind of set – you know, hang in that alley, I guess. But if they thought their four guys, you know, and a linebacker up front basically could could take on the five linemen and the other linebacker makes, makes a tackle. I mean, it, it just – the numbers didn't really – make a lot of sense when they were running too high safeties. Like I, I, I think they thought they could just take the run game away and then they were going to force them to pass and they would be ready to make plays on an, on a quarterback who hasn't really when tested been proven with the deep ball. Um, but yeah, you, you don't line up like that on first and second down. You don't line up like that when they clearly are, are showing they're going to run, you know, 80% of the time. I just, I, I did not understand at all that six-man box that they tried to do, even in the second half when they tried to adjust and put two nose tackles in and with Sweat and Coburn, it just looked like there was too little too late. They were worn down. The confidence level was so high with that offensive line. They were just, just you know, like you said, driving back our, our D-linemen every play. It just the scheme was a, a, a miss. It wasn't even like Kendall Bryles, you know, pulled a rabbit out of the hat. You know, you, you said replicate Rice's game plan, right? I mean, it... I'll talk later on one of my big takeaways about whether this was the world's greatest uh, rope-a-dope, and we in this scenario would be the dopes uh, who were roped. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, basically, uh, I don't know if that second half is when they opened up the playbook just a smidge against Rice, and then, you know, they, they took off running, and, and maybe that's the, the real Arkansas team here. But uh, it wasn't even like Bryles just had this hocus pocus stuff we'd never seen they just did what we knew they were going to do and they kept doing it and I, I can't I just can't wrap my mind around why that was a surprise to to coach Kwiatkowski um I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that it's a long season and that maybe players didn't execute what he wanted or whatever but it just to me was baffling from quarter one all the way through you know probably the end Texas should be prepared to play against that right Texas should be prepared 
to be able to be, and, and the defense and in the secondary. And I mentioned it on, um, another podcast I was on, I'll talk about it later, but like, it looked like the defense came to play and the, the, at least the secondary came to play. Let me say BJ Foster was basically a quarter of a fingertip away from having two interceptions in this game. And so like the secondary knew what they were doing, but the front, the front of the unit was not necessarily putting them in position to make plays. Right. Um, you know, KJ Jefferson had an EPA and expected points added of negative four, 0.95 basically meaning that every 20 times he threw was worth a negative five points for Arkansas and he only threw 18 times like it's just wild to me how like it just felt negligent like the the players can only run the plays that are called right they can only do so much they can only line up how they're told to line up and so there's some negligence on the part of the offense or offensive and defensive staff. So I'll go with the offense in just a second on the defensive staff for not putting them in position to be successful and to play up to their talent. And the same thing I think goes for the offense as well. Yeah. And, and before we transition to the offense, I mean, just the first two drives, they forced punts. Uh, Arkansas never punted again in the game. They had an end of half a victory formation at the end. And that interception that you mentioned, which Texas scored their first touchdown off of, but they never punted again um just kind of a, a gut punch for that defense you know who had three basically red area i believe we're calling it now instead of red zone uh red area stops you know including the 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 we'll talk about the the muff punt or whatever but i mean when you fumble a punt get it blocked and they start inside the 20 to hold that possession to a field goal and then have your offense go out and just derp it I mean, we talked about this some last year with, with Orlando and the perception or excuse me with Ash and the perception of his defense and how sometimes the offense, you know, three and outing and putting them right back on the field squandered, you know, winnable performances. I'm not saying in the second half, especially that this was a good performance by the Texas defense, but you know, the bend don't break was working in the first half. Imagine like Sarkeesian always says, when you trade red area field goals for for touchdowns that's a win yep. so if the offense was firing again that the 16 points they they allow you know via ben don't break defense even though it wasn't a world beating performance you know you, you could have in theory been up there and you could have built off of that and you know you you get the takeaway and you you maybe get the special teams play we'll talk about in a little bit that takeaway like some things break your way Hudson card doesn't have that fumble that slips out of the you know the the hand um just felt like I mean there was a snap when Arkansas's offense fumbled the snap picked it up and got nine yards on the run. It just felt like with the home field advantage, with the every break going their way, with the defense stuck on the field, that, that they were going to need miracles. And then you're asking a line that couldn't do that on the offense. We'll talk about it in a freshman quarterback. And so let's talk maybe about the offense because we know what the defense did and, and really couldn't do. But why couldn't the offense do it, Gerald? What, I mean, what was it that, that – Arkansas and Barry Odom did that just flummoxed old Sark. So, I mean, rushed with three men like, I don't, I, <laughs> I don't know. That was, I think that was the thing that, that frustrated me is it looked like bad, like three years ago, bad Tom Herman offense is like the, the offensive line can't 
create any space or any room or anything for the running backs for the quarterbacks. Now, that being said, like it seems like Barry Odom has Sark's number. There's a reason why Sark wanted to hire him away, right? Our, Alabama, the best off, one of the best, most efficient offenses we've seen in modern college football a year ago. Barry Odom was the only one to even slow them down a little bit. So, like, there's a schematic thing that Barry Odom is doing, and a lot of it has to do with creating havoc in the backfield and, and making your offensive linemen, which Texas needs some help there, making them have to think a lot. And when you force an, a, an offensive player to overthink, they make the wrong choice. It's a, it's a game of routine. It's a game of, and especially on the offensive line, you know where your feet and your hands are supposed to go. And when you start overthinking it, you can't get it done. And so really the run, the ground game never got going. Bijan had one of his worst yards per carry numbers of his entire career, 19 carries 69 yards for a touchdown. And one of the things that I think happened for Texas is that they weren't on the field enough to get off script quick enough. It, yeah. They they when you start the game with what felt like infinity three and outs, I think they still might be going three and out. You don't run <laughs> enough plays to get off the script. And so Odom, I think Odom just had it dialed up. And, and you even saw it if you go back and rewatch the game. Uh, Jalen Catalan, a kid who should be in burn orange, but that's another conversation, was was able to, especially on third downs, see the formation and know where to and what to check to in order to blow things up. He was slapping his head and calling plays and, and calling the defensive alignments. And that's just good scouting and good mm. film study and good play recognition. And now Jalen Catalan is a guy who's going to be playing at the next level next, probably next year, if not uh, in two years. Right. So like he's a guy who's an NFL type player, but when you've got one of those guys orchestrating the rest of the dudes who are playing with their heads on fire, you're going to be able to blow things up. And the offensive line never really got it done. The offensive line was, I think, the big issue because regardless of who your quarterback is, if your offensive line, if he's running, if the quarterback's running for his life, if the running back can't get anything going, if the running back is only getting two and a half, 2.8 yards to work with on, initial, on the initial snap, then your offense is just never going to get going. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, when you talk about 69 yards it's it's a nice run by Bijan that was 20 some odd of those that really you know is skewing even that number I think it was 2.7 on all other yards that's that's his his yards per carry this man set a Texas yards per carry uh last year and you think about he did a lot of that against Colorado and Kansas State who may not be elite defenses certainly um but the what they did when when Herman went with the kiss method keep it simple stupid um he simplified things and there were injuries on the line and they had to simplify things. And they basically went to uh, kind of an outside zone running scheme where offensive linemen weren't asked to do too much and, and, you know, leaned heavy on the run game and let, you know, the, the, the big guys do what they do. And this just didn't feel like they could keep it simple. And Barry Odom, again, one of the best defensive coordinators in the country, without a doubt, um, showed that it's really hard to do that when you have a, a skilled opponent across from you, no, no doubt. But, I mean, just, just think about the fact that we talked about the Arkansas rushing game at length and how we really just wanted to make them beat us with their arm. They also outpassed Texas. You know, Texas, the struggles were not limited to the run game for Texas. Now, again, I'm, I'm conflating this conversation a little bit here because you, you, you think about 
execution and schematics. And this is where I struggle to say, you know, how much is play calling, how much is, is execution of those plays. Uh, as Sark so eloquently said in his crouch, you know, uh, run the, the, I think he said, gosh, darn play or stinking play or something like that. Uh, all shucks. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, but the, think about the passes that weren't think about not only just, Hey, Whittington, once they dropped, I think the throw put him in a tough position to try to catch uh, a, a touchdown in the end zone. Card missed worthy for a, an absolute clear-cut 60-yard touchdown that probably would have got Gerald Despotstradamus. Um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, a, a, another one to Josh Moore. Like Those plays aren't only just, wow, big plays on themselves. That opens up the running game. That allows the yep. RPO work. That it puts the safety. Like Basically, when when... Uh, you saw how deep Catalan was and how he was reading and making plays because they put their safeties and we talked about it in the preview where, where, you know, Catalan would be 12 yards deep and then be making downfield tackles on bubble screens because they put their, their safeties in that deep kind of uh, three high. Um, but they are, they are told to be screaming downfield basically in a, in a quarters matchup. Now that does, we schemed the one-on-ones that if we catch those, but it also what it does is it makes it tough to run because you have banshees just coming flying downhill at you. So again, when you can put that safety in conflict with that RPO when he's trying to get downhill, but he says, "Wait a minute, is this going to Bijan or I'm going to get roasted?" You know, by the receiver behind me. But when you can't connect on those passes, why not? Why not just pin your ears back and come every time? I mean, it was run blitzes. That that's what was happening. It was pure run blitzes blowing up. What, what Sark clearly wanted to do because it was run, run, pass for the entire script opening <laughs> the game. I mean, in fact, uh, three of the first four possessions began with a run with Bijan against the three-man front on first down, got a good gain. On second down, they showed a false three-man front, TFL'd on the next play, tackle for loss. A safety run blitz was a four-yard loss. It was on second and two, looks like a pretty easy convertible. A linebacker run blitz on a two-yard loss, then a, then a, then a defensive line slant with a one-yard loss. coupled with a nice penalty to really make that third down even harder to convert. And you're putting your freshman quarterback in a hostile situation on the road in tough situations, convert long third downs. I get the whole game plan was supposed to be run, run pass. So he has third and twos. And then you can use cards legs if you need to, and you can run some short stuff. You can get some guys moving. We just never had that because on second down, our second run, which became very predictable, they blew it up with run blitzes again, point Odom. He, he won that matchup. I didn't expect Sark to get pants like this. And there's no other way to say it, right? Like you hire you hire him because he's this great offensive mind. He's a great quarterback developer. And the or the offense is just absolutely flummoxed. The entire game is what it felt like. And you know, the part of what the issues were, especially in the passing game, and we'll just go ahead and have the conversation now, is Hudson Card was not comfortable. And the offensive line didn't really seem to be interested at all in protecting him. And you saw like none of the linemen took umbrage with uh, old number 55, not going low, not once, not, but twice after yes. the whistle. So like, that's, that's a problem in and of itself. Like I was never that good at football, but like, if you're, if you're going to hit my quarterback late, I might get tossed out of the game. Like that's just and, something. 
Think about the old Greg Popovich technical to motivate your team. Probably 50 times in his career, yeah. he won games he shouldn't have because he went ballistic on something. It, it, that He gets thrown out, but then it, it motivates the team to to make this rallying comeback. I'm not saying that that happens, but on a play where it's clearly a dirty hit, and the fact that he did it twice tells me that 55 is a real piece of junk and he can, you know, yeah. go, uh, go pig suey somewhere else. Um, but, you know, the fact that no lineman t- took umbrage, that's for all his faults. Tom Herman would say a culture play that didn't happen. Like, where was that? Where was your sixth-year senior uh, Okafor getting in there and just dropping the people's elbow on that dude's head or, you know, just kick him square in the teeth? I don't care. Get nasty. But maybe that does something. But you're right. That that would not have won the game. It was not one play that that changes everything. But but still, it it is indicative, I think, of of the mindset of the two teams. Let's continue down the quarterback conversation. Let's just do it because that's – it's the conversation have. So Hudson Card started the game, ended up 8 of 15, 61 yards, sacked three times, rushed for eight times, had 33 cumulative, but lost 10 of those via sack. And you and I were texting back and forth about it throughout the game, and we mentioned it in the postgame live stream and podcast. If you haven't checked that, check it out. It's very raw. We're very emotional. Um, but <laughs> like he just never looked comfortable in the pocket, and he... Um, he there was there was the combination of happy feet and squeezing the ball that you hate to see, and that's from a guy who went out and the last time he played significant snaps was the most talented player on the field, head and shoulders above everybody, and yeah. so he never really had to be in that situation, or he could trust himself to make the play and be better than everybody else, just out athlete everybody, and that's not the case when you're playing another college scholarship full team right in high school you maybe got one or two guys on the other team that are going to end up playing at the next level and surprise surprise all the guys are at the next level in college and so the happy feet was a thing and squeezing the ball a little bit was a thing right it's it's a weird um when you're when you're when you're shuffling your feet in the pocket rather than stepping up to create space or create throwing lanes you are unable to see things like Jordan Whittington standing wide open on a wheel route or Bijan wide open underneath. And so you lock in on a guy downfield or you hold on to the ball for too long and end up getting sacked or throwing it out of bounds for, for a, I guess a net zero play, but it's still definitely not one you want to see on third down. They, they made the switch to, to Thompson people, you know, we even said maybe a couple series too late, um, but he came in, went five of eight for 57 yards, also rushed seven times for 44 and two touchdowns. But I think the differentiator is that Casey Thompson looked decisive, right? He, he's and through through, you know, for good or for ill, he is not going to hold on to the ball before tucking it as long as Hudson Card is. Hudson Card has got the bad Brett Favre in him where he's going to try to make something happen, where Casey Thompson is quicker to shut it down and take the guaranteed yards, which when you're playing it with a behind an offensive line like what Texas is dealing with right now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Honestly, it's why Sam Ellinger got the nod over Shane Bouchel four years ago, or three years ago, because Sam could deal with the Swiss cheese that was the offensive line in 2018. And so, like, they've officially made the, sh- the switch, but, like, it just seems like what Casey Thompson is doing, even the things that maybe limit him as a quarterback are what Texas needs from their their quarterback right now. 
Gerald, I don't want to lose you here with this analogy, but uh, hopefully our listeners will get it. You, you you remember even even someone who doesn't watch the sport, the the Barcelona teams of the the mid two thousands. They played this style of soccer. They called tiki taka. <laughs> you could pass these these short intricate little passes, and it was just so beautiful poetry in motion, right? And so a, a ton of other teams wanted to do this. And I remember Swansea, uh, who is a, a Welsh team but plays in the English Premier League, really tried it and. While Barcelona won multiple Champions Leagues, Swansea got relegated. Um, that all is to say, Steve Sarkeesian had tiki-taka last year. He had the beautiful game. He had Alabama offense running on all parts with a line that put multiple guys in the NFL from it, um, with multiple receivers in the NFL. You know, um, when you have all those parts, Sark needs, I think, to understand that you're not going to run the most beautiful version of the Sark offense in, in year zero. This, these aren't your guys. There's been some attrition as, as things change. COVID was a weird time. People are behind on development schedules. Some of these players who have been in the program have had four different position coaches. I mean, it, there, there are some deficiencies here. We know that. Um, and so when you talk about this quarterback battle, and it's what you and I talked about in the offseason in our preview, it's why I thought Casey would at least start the beginning of the season for these two games, is you were playing teams with some experience and some experienced coaches and some 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 tough environments, and I thought you didn't have the best offensive line ahead of either of those quarterbacks, which we're seeing play out, and that was why I thought Thompson for exactly these reasons, because, again, being decisive, understanding all right, I can make one guy miss. I might be able to make two guys miss, but I may not get the home run, right? I may make one guy miss and take four yards and 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 set up whatever we have next. Or maybe I hit a seam and I, and I and I get ten yards, right? But but tuck it, go. Hudson Card, like you said, is is to his credit, and I think this will play out in the in his career in the future. Has big plays in him. He hasn't hit those big passes yet. I feel like as soon as he gets one or two of those, it's going to really unlock something for him because that is a part of his game. He does throw a good deep ball, just isn't there as he's forcing it too hard Um, that will unlock something for him but he loves that big play he wants that over the top deep ball but he wants it so bad that he's he is basically you know foregoing and and selling out everything else to try to to try to get that right there there were plays even even in his game against Louisiana which was okay great he did everything right there was a, a fourth down fourth and six where he he did about seven levels of running sideways to get to the the marker on to get those six yards where it's like just put your head down get seven and get on the ground and 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 get that first down you know it's like the we talked about it when we did this podcast. We've been doing it a long time with Sam Ellinger and the freshman plays and the and the winning plays, wanting to win so badly that he threw a couple late game picks early in his career. It, it is the freshman quarterback syndrome. It is rare when we talk about the guys who don't experience it. So we knew it was going to happen. So Casey Thompson being here right now is not that far off. It's just that we we started down one path and then we jumped here to this what I think was the most in my mind, predictable timeline for the two tough opponents you had with Casey Thompson, again, being the known entity, the guy who's been around a while, the guy with a little more experience, the guy who, you know, will make the decision. So that wrinkle is the most interesting one to me. It's the start-stop nature of it. How does it affect now Hudson Card's development and his mindset and and what's between the years? Uh, Does Casey Thompson ever relinquish this? I mean, we'll watch it play out, but it could have been written so many different ways if Thompson started, if, if he, if card was still the starter going into next week and he got that vote of confidence from Sark, there's a lot of different factors, but we're now taking maybe the most dangerous route. I'm not saying this path can't get us there, but you have the potential to, to 
multiple balls in the air that you're trying to juggle with both of these guys now the way that you did it. Generally, dating two girls doesn't go the way you think it's going to. <laughs> and that's the only way I can I can sum up the the situation. We got to kind of tie a bow on this. We've been, going, we've been talking for quite a bit. There's a lot to talk about. But the, the best possible outcome three weeks ago when you and I said it was that Hudson comes in, he's the real deal, he runs away with it, and we can shut the door on this. Now that Sark has pulled the parachute in week three, um, the best thing that could happen is Casey Thompson pedal to the metal, runs away with it, and we can shut this thing down. That is the best possible outcome at this point. I wanted it for Hudson two weeks ago. I want it for Casey now. This needs to be done because this is the type of thing that can, that. and again, we say derail a season, that, that can throw a wrench in otherwise winnable games. And, you know, we said it coming into this that two and one coming out of this opening stretch ain't that bad of a of a start for Texas. And so Texas still has a chance to be two and one. Now we didn't expect them to get pantsed but in uh in Fayetteville, but two and one out of the stretch is not that bad. So we special teams were also atrocious. Dicker muffed a punt that ended up uh giving Arkansas the shortest field of the day he missed a 52 yarder I don't know what the solution is with Dicker we got he was really hyped early on got really high for lots of reasons and then the last couple of years have just been lackluster at best but college kickers are what they are right they're 80 percent at best and he's kind of hitting that mark I mean his punting when he when he held on to the ball was was solid otherwise I mean when he when he held it and kicked the ball that that stuff was good um just you know again that's when you put a kicker who's expected to kick off kick you know field goals and, and also punt you know maybe maybe you get a little tired you're not used to catching snaps as much in practice as you would if you were just a punter because I assume that's what special teams players do during practice I don't know that maybe they should play leap leapfrog but uh I I, I mean yeah it, it will be interesting um Go redeem yourself, Dicker. Have a couple more game winners this year, and 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 you know, be a Longhorn legend because you deserve it. But come, come on, I need I need you to hit some more field goals. Six straight games with a missed field goal uh, right now is his current streak. Not a great streak. Not great at all. So, Kyle, do you want do you want to get us on the Podstradamus recap, and then we'll we'll close this thing out. Let me real quick. I just wanted to say a couple things. Just just I'm gonna hyper through this. I had a couple key takeaways that I wanted to discuss. Right. Um, first is the rope doke factor again. Uh, could it be that Sam Pittman and, and Arkansas played it so dumb? Pittman saying, I don't know, number five returns punts. Like, I'm just this dumb guy. I didn't do any scouting. Clearly, they did scouting um, when he confused Jamison and, and Robinson like Pro Football Focus does every week. Um, could it have been that they showed so poorly in the first half against Rice to to get Texas's guard down? I'm not saying that happened, but, man, it feels weird. The other thing is, look, I talked to a, a lot of people who are, who are football coaches at various levels, either during the game or since the game, um, and there are games, and this is the consensus that almost everyone came to, there are games that you just lose getting off the bus. There are games that you aren't going to win. It's just not your night. The other team is so amped up. People who were in Fayetteville all week said that I don't know how many of these shirts people have or if they just washed washed as generous just rewore them five days in a row but beat texas or tuck fexus uh shirts were around fayetteville on 80 percent of the people all week um this was their super bowl they were up for you had to know that though but they just played hair on fire super saiyan Arkansas, I hate to say it, is not that good of a team. Other teams will shut down the run. They will hit the big shots. This isn't going to be a quality loss probably for Texas by the end of the year, but that's okay. It's okay to just have someone come out and beat you. If you 
win out. You know, you you play a bunch of games and you win some big games and you're playing in a not great Big 12 and you make a Big 12 championship somehow this year. You kind of forget the embarrassment of this one. But how you react says everything about Sark and where he is. And that's my last point. It's just macro. I talked about it on instant reaction and I just want to close us on it now. Zoom out just a little bit. This is not the end of the world. The season is not over. No one needs to be fired. Changes will be made. That is a reaction. Change everything. Fire everyone. Get rid of this. We suck. We're awful. That's an overreaction. We don't need overreactions from players, coaches, or the fans. React. Expect more. And let's see two winnable games on the schedule. Let's see them. This is the ultimate get-right game we're going to talk about in our Rice preview. But um, let's let's steady the hand, steady the ship, and move forward. So the, the, that'll move us into Gerald you and I needing to get right because the Podstradamus recap for this week, I'm going to go quickly through it. I think I should take a point away from each of us because <laughs> we were so bad, especially me said we'd have 300 yard passing. We did not have 300 yards offense. Mm-hmm. I said we would hold them to a uh, hundred yards rushing because I really, in my mind saw Texas taking that away and making them pass. I thought they might have a lot of passing yards, but boy, was I wrong. Uh, you said a hundred yards for word that you were much closer. If we could have hit some of those again, that's a game we win and two sacks. We had zero. So we went over, 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 Oh, the st- tally still stands at two for one, unless we want to take a point away from each of us and be at one and zero, because we were as bad in our picks as the Texas, uh, offense, defense and special teams were on Saturday. Samsonite. I was way off so that's it we're putting a bow on it we're burning the tape we're moving on we'll be back on thursday to preview the rice owls and that's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of the campus and we quickly update you on all the other things going on and we down the 40 let's start with who i'm going to continue to call the best team on campus until proven otherwise number one volleyball beats both arizona and notre dame three to one in both of those matches and again the the familiar names the usual suspects logan eggleston skyler fields asia o'neill all put up big numbers in these wins now the the notre dame game that scrap it out a little bit uh they yeah. lost the second set 25 to 20 and then had to go to the fourth and actually had to go to extra points in the fourth set to close it out so gutty victory from the ladies there which is good. I like to see them struggle just a little bit. It makes it real, makes them want it, makes them remember they're human. Uh, don't want any of our other programs falling into the name on your jersey wins you the game like I think our football program has fallen into for the past 10 years. But that's another story. Good for the ladies. Uh, 2-0. Oh. It's always good to win. Always good to win. So they improved to 7-0 and oh on the season. Next up for the ladies are Texas A&M on Friday. Soccer. Talk about a get-right game. Beats UT Rio Grande Valley 7-0. Freshman Lexi Mismo does what one other person has done in the history of Texas soccer. She scored four goals in the 7-0 victory. Yeah, and got two of those in less than a minute span. Uh, there was a, a video of her just almost toying with a defense and goalie in the box. She had the ball and was just, where am I going to put it in? Where am I? And then she did. She scored. Um, she's she's a monster, man. Uh, I, let's enjoy her before she's playing professionally and representing uh, the U.S. women's national team. Um, she's, she's as good a player as ever come through the Texas soccer program, and that's maybe an insult to her. Uh, she's 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 amazing you should be watching texas soccer just to watch her again there's no doubt in my mind that she will be representing if not captaining the u.s women's national team in 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 the the short future in some olympics and world cups she's that good 
The women now jump to 2-3-3 three, and three on the year. Next up for them is Samford and Southern Illinois Edwardsville before starting conference play next week. Number five, men's golf tied for third after the first round of the Merido Collegiate Invitational. They shot a six over on the day, which puts them eight strokes back of those dirty, dirty Sooners. Travis Vick is the high watermark for the Longhorns, fired a one under 71, tied for fifth on the day number nine women's golf tied for eighth after the first round of the Annika uh, intercollegiate uh, tournament after going three over on the day 12 strokes back of the leader Sarah Korsakova finished two under at 70 tied for number 12 keeping it on the links two Longhorns named to the 12 member U.S. Ryder Cup team as kind of a coach's choice situation uh, Jordan Spieth and Scotty Scheffler will both be on the team to represent the United States. Spieth making his fourth appearance, big first for Scotty Scheffler, one of two schools to have multiple people, uh, Florida State being the other. This is big for the Longhorns, big for both those guys. Didn't finish as high as they wanted to in the uh, season, so Ryder Cup uh, victory will be a nice cherry on top and get ready for next year. That will be September 24th through 26th. Get out there, fellas. And then finally, some big recruiting news, literally, metaphorically big. Uh, defensive lineman from the state of Alabama, Justice Finkley, commits to the University of Texas over the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Colorado Buffaloes. Number 113 overall, number 20 defensive lineman, 6'2", 225, rocking a 4'6", 40-yard dash. Uh, quite a heck of a prospect, and he's also already a bit of a monster in the weight room. Yeah, it I just... Anytime you go into uh, Alabama and get a kid who, you know, Alabama wanted, uh, that's that's amazing. That's something. Um, Dr. Mama Fink as, as, uh, has been called on, yep. on Twitter. Um, I love kids that, that basically their parents say, you know, well, I'm smart. You're going to be smart. University of Texas is a good place to, to get educated and be smart and be successful for your, your whole life. So uh, let's get tons of those kids, the, the kids that tag uh, the aerospace program in their in their uh, commitment videos. And, and let's get those uh, smart kids, the, you know, Andrew Lux, who got away. But um, let's uh, let's let's get these smart kids who, who, you know, are four high stars and, and uh, really, really good. He's a, a talk football of it. He projects to probably the edge in PK's defense. But just his weight room stuff is is silly. He He's like at, at that age doing numbers that are just just crazy with 330 pound clean, uh, 535 back squat, 350 pound split jerk. I mean, 375 on the bench, and, and you know, like you mentioned, the four six and the oh 31 inch vertical. So like Boss Bailey type numbers, just a just a combine monster. Uh, I love it. I love getting those guys. I also love the name Justice Finkley. Let's be honest. Right, absolutely. Kid wants to be a doctor, so he chose the best academic institution of the three where you can also play football. Myron Roll is the kind of guy you want to see this dude turn out to be. Now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions of all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Thinking about, you know, burning the tape, like you said earlier, Gerald, I was thinking about you know, there's other programs on the 40 acres. We just ran through some of them. There's some that haven't played yet. But I thought about Coach David Pearson, that, that horrendous start to a season that almost ended in a, in a national championship bid for the baseball team. What did he say after the opening weekend in Houston? He said, burn the tape and, and start over. And maybe that's what Texas football is doing. But I've been thinking about the other programs, and there's one in particular that I'm excited about. And they don't need to burn the tape. They need to, they need to grind some tape. They need uh, to – 
to watch all these players come together, look at the tape from from Arizona, from uh, from in the Northeast, from multiple schools up there, Creighton, etc., from from Minnesota, from basically all the guys they're bringing together. And then, yeah, that's right, I'm talking Texas basketball, baby. We are 57, 56 mere days away from Texas basketball season. Again, we're not riding off football, but we are acknowledging that volleyball is number one, and there is a chance that Texas basketball could have a number in the single digits, they should, and, 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 you know, the low single digits, uh, with the talent that they have. So this is a, a great first look and test it, it, Chris Beard and what he can do. And again, just a couple short months, he's been talking, they had their first media availability last week, brought, uh, Timmy Allen, who I was surprised to see didn't go the Andrew Jones route, but, uh, brought a new player guy with a great story has a fan in me. Um, just, he said, he's really going to make these players available to the media so that we get to know them. But also Beard said, you know, he stuck to his script, which is he wants the fans there. Be engaged. This is your program. Get to know these guys. Get bought in. He said Texas is the perennial Big 12 favorite. They want to knock them off. How is, or excuse me, Kansas is is the, the Big 12 perennial favorite. Want to knock them off. How is Kansas so good all the time? Well, they have one of the best home courts in, in the world. And he wants to recreate that in Texas. Wants to have a rabid fan base at home. And he really hasn't deviated from that script from the moment he was hired. So let's let's make it right. And uh, in, in, you know, the whole team is watching Ted Lasso right now. Uh, and so if any of you are or have watched the first season, um, you know, just, just like the poster, the yellow and blue poster on the outside of, of Chris Beard's uh, current office says, and also Ted Lasso's belief. Uh, so in, in, in under 60 days, Get out there and support and believe in Chris Beard, in in uh, the returning Longhorns that we have, Courtney, Andrew, Brock, the new guys, uh, talent all over the place, Marcus Carr, Christian Bishop, Timmy Allen, et cetera, et cetera, Dylan Dissu. Believe, because I think it's going to be a good season. I'm I'm cautious to be hopeful <laughs> about anything Texas Athletics at this point. But I think that Texas has the dudes – Texas has the coach, so theoretically this could be a good season. But again, Kyle, I've been hurt before, and I've just got to protect my heart. So I'm banging the drum this week on on Derek Brown. If you if you're if you're a recruit Nick like I am, and you follow recruiting, which if you're a Texas football fan, you probably follow recruiting at least a little bit. Uh, Those are the the good times, Gerald. That's when it's fun to be a Texas fan. Things are, things are going great, but. <laughs> Um, linebacker recruit Derek Brown um, is one of my favorite follows on Twitter because he just like he bleeds burnt orange in the best way possible and like after the game he was tweeting about how much he loves Texas and how they're going to bounce back and he's like vocally and actively recruiting on Twitter basically all the time and one like Hopefully you're doing your homework and like going to practice and not tweeting in class and those types of things. But other, it's great that he loves Texas. But I follow him and come to find out, he's not just a linebacker, but he also plays wide receiver for his high school. And for the first of what hopefully will be many times, Derek Brown was featured on ESPN, specifically on the You Got Mossed segment on ESPN in which he was playing a wide receiver linebacker playing wide receiver love defensive players playing offensive skill positions in high school means they got speed but he goes over the top of somebody high points the ball and just takes it away and I just love to see it you love to see it 
And you love to see a guy like that who works his tail off, who loves the sport, who loves the Longhorns, getting to get some national recognition. So horns up to you, Derek Brown. Proud of you, man, and looking forward to seeing you in burnt orange. Like you said, no two ways about it. He's committed 100%. Uh, I like recruits who who also uh, don't care and overreact. I mentioned it earlier. Don't overreact. Just just react. We'll get better. We'll be okay. So you're zero. Uh, we need those kids. If you're if you're a five star recruit, listen to this. And hey, thanks for listening. We might be. Uh, <laughs> uh, why wouldn't you go to to play right now, especially offensive line uh, for for Coach Sark uh, and and that offense and and get it to that optimal tiki taka that that we were uh, referencing. But uh, yeah, that was a great great catch. And uh, man, like I said. Got to, got to follow Texas recruiting because that is where we really do our damage. We are uh, oftentimes, if not recruiting national champions, you know, having top four finishes. So uh, it doesn't matter what you do on Saturdays. It really matters what you do in February. We are perennial college football <laughs> recruiting playoff contenders. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Programmer at Texas Programmer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at G.H. Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. We're on Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again. We'll be back on Thursday with our preview. We'll also here on our podcast feed from Cameron and Westcott on Wednesday doing a little bit of a recap as well. So we look forward to having them as part of the network. Thanks so much for tuning in again this week and until next time. Hook 'em. Hook 'em. Justice Finkley is Einhorn.